0: the crazy thing is we could talk about Jesus appearing on your doorstep, but that's exactly what he did, if you want to back it up, about 2,000 years ago in time, and he showed up on the doorstep of Joseph and Mary, needed a place to stay, and started in a stable, but had a need for a family too, and so Mary and Joseph uh, served as parents, had siblings, and he became man and walked on this earth, and really walked in obscurity, most people didn't know who he was. Until he was about 30 years old, and where he started to do some teaching and started to gather some followers and then started to do some miracles. And all of a sudden, people started to notice him and started to wonder. And some guys really bought into this idea, yet this is God who has come down in the flesh and he is walking among us. And so these people followed him everywhere and they listened to him teach, but they also sat and ate with him and they went out in boats with him and they. They traveled to various places with him and they stayed with him. And there's no doubt that there were times when they would retire for the night that Jesus would go home with some of them and maybe stay in the spare bedroom in their house too. And they realized that they had a pretty good thing going and so they were all in. Uh, They forsook their professions and they just became 24-7 followers of Jesus Christ, and did this for about three years, and then there was that one week when Jesus said, you know what, we need to go to Jerusalem, and we need to celebrate the Passover, and so they left Galilee, and they followed Jesus to Jerusalem, and that week started with Jesus riding in on on a donkey, and then there was a lot of just verbal altercation, it seemed like, an opposition from, from some of the religious leaders, and then it led to the upper room, into the meal, into the dinner, the Passover dinner that we now refer to as the Last Supper, and I wonder if the disciples really realized what was going on, or if it felt a little odd and a little strange to them. Some of the conversation, some of the things that Jesus was saying, and then there was that whole deal with with him predicting that he's going to be portrayed or betrayed, and and Judas gets up and leaves, and then there's that conversation of Jesus with Peter and this whole denial thing, and. Peter saying, No, I'm not gonna deny. And it's just an odd night. And I wonder if they felt that. But then as they finished the, the meal, they went on out and they followed Jesus and he went out to the garden and he started to talk to them. And he gave them a lot of information because what Jesus knew and what they, they didn't know is that everything was about to change. The crucifixion was literally right around the corner. And so he starts to give them, in essence, what we would refer to as like final instructions. His end of time on earth is near. And the disciples, they don't really have a clue. And so in John 14, 15, 16 to 17, in those four chapters, we have the record of Jesus in like his final instructions to his disciples. And So I invite you to turn with me there this morning. It's like what you might give to the babysitter when you go out for a night, or the person who's staying with your kids if you're going to grab a weekend. It's all these details that you're going to know, need to know, Jesus, saying, once I am gone, because I'm not going to be here with you a whole lot longer. And that's what he told them, the worst thing that they could possibly hear. And he talked about the crucifixion, and they didn't get that. Talked about some of these other things. They didn't get that. But then he said one thing that got their attention. And this is what he said. He said that he was going to leave. He was moving out, not moving in. And he was moving on. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he's saying this to the disciples. I am going. And when I say that, you feel sad, don't you? And that makes sense because he wasn't going to be with them anywhere. And just what would that look like for them? I mean, they've been following him for three years now and they've given up professions and they've made a lot of decisions that were really based on Jesus being who he said he was. And now he's saying, okay, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And they're like, you got to be kidding. This is not what we were expected. But then He shares a premise with them, and this is really key to what we're talking about here this morning and for the next, uh, well, eight weeks total as we explore this theme. But he says, here's the premise. It's better for me that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. I'm going to, in a sense, tap out, and the Holy Spirit's going to tap in here, and that's going to be better for you. Now, why would it be better for these disciples. Well, to start with, the Holy Spirit was a spirit. And so he was not going to be confined to a body like Jesus was confined to a body so that he could be everywhere at all times through all generations. And that meant that unlike Jesus, where you had to be where he was physically present, with the Holy Spirit, you could be anywhere and experience God in that way. Well, Jesus went on and had more to say here in John 14. If you back up a little bit, he gives some more details. John 14, 16, and 17, he says this. Whoops, I'm sorry. Is that right? John 14, 16, there we go. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but the next one who comes is never leaving. Don't miss that. He said, and who is that person? Well, he's the Spirit of Truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus was leaving, the Holy Spirit would come in his place, and this would be better. Now, the Holy Spirit, that was not a new concept of the disciples. The Holy Spirit shows up in the Old Testament scriptures, they would have understood who the Holy Spirit was. But what Jesus is saying here gives them some new information on the Holy Spirit. That probably sounds a little bit like us. We know about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit in church. We sing about the Holy Spirit in church. But if it really comes right down to it, we would struggle a little bit to tell you a lot of deep information about the Holy Spirit. And we want to work on that here in the next two months. We want to give proper attention to the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? Why did Jesus need to send him? What difference does it make to us? But here's the big deal to be thinking about. It's not about learning about the Holy Spirit. It's not about us getting more information and having more facts available to us. It's about us actually experiencing the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' intention, not to give the disciples information, but to say, you know what, the Holy Spirit is coming, and you can experience him and have a relationship with him like you did with me. And so we start with the premise we just talked about, it'd be better for the Holy Spirit to come, and then Jesus moves on to three things here that are really key to us understanding who the Holy Spirit is, and that he was giving to the disciples to help them understand what was about to take place. And then he finishes with a promise, and so we'll follow through that outline here this morning. The first thing Jesus does is he tells him about the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. He doesn't say, he doesn't refer to him as an it. In fact, if we read verse 17 there, It says, you don't, the the world doesn't see him or know him, you know him, he dwells in you, it always refers to him in personal terms. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. And we need to understand that this morning. The Holy Spirit is a person as he is part of the Godhead or part of the Trinity. So just like we can say God the Father is a person, Jesus was a person or is a person, so the Holy Spirit is a person as well. And that's really important to us because he was equal to God the Father and he was equal to Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit is on the same level, all three of them. They work in, in coordination and cooperation, but they are equal to each other. So it's not like the Holy Spirit is just like the, uh, the messenger or, or the assistant to God the Father. No, he's equal to God the Father. And he's a person like God the Father is. But we, in in a sense, we can use that idea of of personhood interchangeably when we talk about them. They're not the same thing, but that idea is of personhood. But he's not human. So a lot of times when we talk about being a person, we talk about being human. What does that mean? Well, you know, we have a body and, and we're limited. The Holy Spirit's not limited. He's not limited by anything like we are. So when we talk about person, we're talking about his person as God, not as a person as man. And yet we know that he's a person because he does person type things. The Bible tells us that he teaches, he testifies, he hears, he speaks, he instructs, he commands. He has personality type of things said about him. Like he has a mind, he has a will, he hears things, uh, excuse me. he, He has knowledge, he has goodness. And so these are like personality type attributes. We even see that he has personal feelings. We're told that he can be grieved, that he can be offended, that he can be lied to, that he can be resisted, that he can be outraged or blasphemed against. And so we know that he's a person, not a human, but he's a God or is God as a person, and he's not a force. And we live a lot of times, I think, with this idea in mind that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the force from Star Wars. Like there's this spiritual energy in the world. And part of that is because of how the Holy Spirit is manifested. And so we we even read about in the Bible. You know, he's he's as a wind, a mighty wind, or as, as flames of fire. Or we read stories where an earthquake comes and he shakes it. And we get this idea that the Holy Spirit is this power. He's not a power. He has power. He is God, so he has power. And he has all the power That God has all the power that God the Father has, all the power that God the Son has, the Holy Spirit has all that power too, which is unlimited and infinite. So when you see something shake, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not Him, it's the power that He has, and He can shake things. Believe me, He can shake things. But we start with this idea that He's a person because of this, and this is the most important thing to get. We relate to people. And the fact that he is a person means that he is personal. A force, there's no relationship with that. Try, try having a conversation with gravity sometime. It's going to be pretty one-sided. So we say that's not who the Holy Spirit is. He's a person because we can have this relationship. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going, and the Holy Spirit is coming. And just like you related to me, not exactly in the same way, but as you related to me, you can have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Which brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? How much relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? Well, let's keep going. We'll come back to that a little bit. The second thing that Jesus does is he tells us about his purpose. And if you read through John 14, 15, 16, 17, you find a lot of different roles that the Holy Spirit plays. So we can find out his purpose in that way. In John 14, 26, we're told that he teaches us. In John 16, 8, that he convicts. In John 16, 13, that he guides. In John 16, 14, he actually makes Jesus known And so we find all these different things out about the Holy Spirit. If you read elsewhere, especially in the New Testament, you find out other things that the Holy Spirit does. And that will be what we're talking about here for the next seven weeks after today. But the primary role that's mentioned here is in John 14, 16, if you want to look back to that. It says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, and Chris already mentioned that, he will give you another paraclete is the Greek word. And in the translation that Chris read earlier in the service, he will give you another advocate. In the translation that I read, he will give you another helper. If you go back to the, the King James Version, he says, I will give you another comforter. I think if you go back to the old New International Version, i give you another counselor. So we have all these different words that are showing up because we're trying to define a Greek word with an English word, and it's, it's hard to get the exact idea. Chris mentioned it's the idea of God coming alongside, and it really is a legal term. It would be like your counsel. If you're in, in a trial, it's like the lawyer who stands with you and speaks for you and guides you and assists you and helps you through. That is what the role of the Holy Spirit is. But I like this translation of helper. And I like this idea of helper, the God who is there to help you, in whatever you need. You ever met a person who was just a, a, a great help and a great helper? I mean, if I ask that question, who's the person in your life who's been like the biggest help to you? Or who's the person in your life who is just consistently helping you? I, I think about that, and I think about a guy by the name of Kurt Miles. And, and Kurt was a guy uh, in our church back in Granger, who was just a helper. He was retired and one of these handyman guys who could just do anything and was always offering to help. And he had this little side business that he did. It was called Just Call Kurt. And if you need something, just call Kurt and he could figure it out. And he could really figure out anything. You need electrical, he could do that. You need plumbing, he could do that. You're putting in a kitchen, okay, I'll help you come put in a kitchen. And I mean, Kurt helped me with just about everything. But I remember the day, it was a Sunday afternoon in summer and it was hot and I had the kids out. And we were playing with water balloons. And so we had the spigot in the back of the house, and we were using that to fill up the water balloons. And when we went to turn it off, it, it wouldn't turn off. And so the water is just pouring out of the spigot now, which isn't the biggest deal. The fact that I had a window well that sat about a foot from the spigot, and I'm like, if I don't get this water off, it's all going to go in that window well, and then it's going to go into the basement. We're going to have a mess here. I've got to do something about this. So I didn't know what to do, so I went and I just called Kurt. And I said, hey, Kurt, I need some help. Now it's Sunday afternoon. And he's like, what do you need? I said, well, I got this spigot in the backyard. I can't turn it off. He said, okay, turn off the water to your house. He said, but you can fix this. So turn off the water to your house, and then you need to unscrew the spigot, take it into Menards, take what you have, compare it, bring it in, you can connect the whole thing, and you'll be good to go. I'm like, thanks, Kurt. Means so much. And so I hung up with him, turned off the water to the house, got got my pliers, went out there, and turned the spigot twice, only discovered it didn't screw on, it had been welded on. And I snapped the whole thing off. Well, this is a problem now, because um, if I turn the water back on, I mean, we're gonna flood everything forever. And so I called Kurt back and said, hey, Kurt, um, it didn't screw off. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I twisted it and it broke off. He's like, ah. He said, well, I'm at my my granddaughter's birthday party right now. Can you hang on an hour? And Kurt left his granddaughter's birthday party after an hour, came back, fixed that whole thing. And to my knowledge, it still works properly. You could check with the people who bought the house from us. But that's what Kurt was like. The point that Jesus is making here is that's what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit is the God who comes into your story and says, let me help you with that. Oh, you, you need some help with that? Let me help you with that. You need to change some things in your life? Let me help you with that. Oh, you've got some relationship issues going on? Let me help you with that. You've got some discouragement and defeat and depression in your life, well, I can help you with that. Oh, you got a big decision that you need to make? Let me help you with that. And the Holy Spirit is the God who comes into our story and says, let me help you with that. Oh, you're teaching down in Faith Mountain this morning? Let me help you with that. You're leading a small group? Let me help you with that. Oh, you're trying to do better in your prayer life? Let me help you with that. His purpose, he is here to help us. How does he do that then? Well, that gets to the next point that Jesus makes here. And he talks about his presence. He is the God with us. And if you ever needed somebody just to be with you at times in your life, you ever had like a big tragedy or just disappointing or devastating news, and you need that person, they don't even need to say anything. They just need to show up and be with you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the person who is with you, but he's not just the person who is with us. If you'll look back in verse number 17 of John 14 there, he says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And this is a game changer. He indwells us. He takes what Jesus did. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt with men. The Holy Spirit goes a step further and dwells in men. And so as Jesus took on the form of a man, Jesus or the Holy Spirit actually comes to live within us and takes on that form in a sense. So Jesus was God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. Think about that. He's here to help us, but he's here to actually be in us. Think about what that means. That means that you never, ever have to feel alone again because you're not. That means you don't have to be overwhelmed again because as you're dealing with it, he's dealing with it. You don't have to feel defeated because he is in you and he can help you keep going. You don't have to feel hopeless because he's in you and he is the God of hope. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You already have God living inside you. What more do you need? You don't have to live in fear. Who's going to defeat God? Nobody. And he is living inside of you. You don't even have to feel invisible. You ever had this experience where you feel like God doesn't see you? Like, hey God, I'm right here. I wish you would pay attention to me. Who are you waving at? He's right here. Yeah, he's paying attention to you. He resides in you. He lives in you. Now, let me just pull this apart a little bit more and, and mention four things that this means when we talk about the fact that God is in us. First of all, it means that he, as, as the Holy Spirit, it means that he saves us. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to be born again? Jesus said, you, you need to be born of the flesh, but you also need to be born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit actually is the one who, in a sense, brings us salvation. Here's some verses here in Titus chapter 3, verse number 4 through 7. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. Check this out. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This, by the way, is a great passage to describe the Trinity to you. It talks about God the Father, talks about Jesus Christ, talks about the Holy Spirit, all in their role of salvation. But we're told that we are washed. The rebirth, the renewal is by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit who comes inside and cleans us up. It's like he comes with a, with, with a rag and a bucket and says, okay, let's clean this person up. And he essentially gives us what we sometimes call our new nature. We become a new creation. We read elsewhere about the old man and the new man. It's the Holy Spirit who brings that new man to us. And so he saves us. Secondly, he sanctifies us. We talked about this some last week, but here's an interesting verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So this idea of sanctification we talked about last week has several parts to it. One is to be set apart. And so the Holy Spirit comes and sets us apart, says he belongs to God. But then the other part of that is he starts to change us. And the Holy Spirit is the key player in our lives when it comes to change and transformation. Now we're going to talk about that in depth next Sunday. So come back next Sunday. We're really going to dive into that idea. But this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He saves us, he sanctifies us, then he also secures us. Or the Bible term is he seals us. This is a verse from Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal. And what is that seal? The promised Holy Spirit. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this goes back to an ancient custom of the seal an authority would make a decree, and to, to signify that he had made that decree, they would drip some wax, and then the, the insignia of the king would be pressed into that wax to say, this is final. If you remember when Jesus uh, was put in the tomb, they, they sealed the tomb. It wasn't like they caulked it shut is that they came and they they put that mark on there saying, this is the decree of the government, don't mess with it. In the Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ, he comes and he puts his mark on us and says, this one's God's, don't mess with it. This one's God's forever. When my dad went to college, he attended a Christian college, and they served their meals family style. So you go to dinner and and everybody sit around the table and somebody bring the, and it would get passed around the table, unlike the cafeteria style that we use today. But somebody was always the host of that table. So they would bring the, the food and they'd pass it around and it was all when the serving plates were all done, he'd get whatever was left. So it was you know, an honor to be the host, but kind of a bummer too, because you got the leftovers in a sense. Well, that was really bad with dessert, because if something you know, cake came and it was all cut up on the plate, he would get the smallest plate, a uh, piece. And there was one guy at my dad's table who was the host who got this idea, like, I can, I can fix this. And so the dessert plate came, and he took it, and he took the biggest piece of cake, and he pushed his finger into the top of it, and said, this one's mine. And he passed it around the table. Well, obviously, nobody wanted to take that piece of cake, so he got the biggest piece of cake. And he did that for, you know, a few days, and then somebody got wise to it. And so the the next dessert came, and Sure enough, he put his finger in. He said, this one's mine. And he passed it to the next person who put their finger in the exact same one and said, this is his. And passed it on to the next person who said, this is his. And by the time he got around to it, eight different people had put their finger in that thing to say, this one's his. But that's what the idea of this is. The Holy Spirit comes and said, this one's mine. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit shows up and said, this one belongs to me. And the fact that God lives in you is actually a guarantee of eternal life for you because he's an eternal God who will live forever. It also means that he assures us. Romans 8 16 says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he comes and lives inside of us to say to us, yes, you belong to God. And sometimes we struggle with doubts That's not what the Holy Spirit wants for us. He wants us to be sure. And so those three things, he tells us about his person, he tells us about his purpose, he tells us about his presence, and then he goes back to a promise. And it's there in in verse number seven, um, where he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will will send him to you and this is the promise i will send him to you now when jesus was talking to his disciples he was talking into the future and he's talking about a day called pentecost we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks when the holy spirit would be sent but we're on the other side of that the holy spirit has already been sent and we have him we don't have to wait he is here right now now this is all information But we said at the beginning, the goal of the Holy Spirit is not to give us more knowledge. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to transform us. And so this morning, I want to finish with some simple takeaways of how this information can actually make a difference in our lives. Here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit has come. The promise was fulfilled. And he lives in us. And you have all of the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get. You do. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can sit there right now where you are and go, I have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of me. That's incredible. The God would choose to live in you. And yet that's exactly, Jesus said, I got to, I have to leave here because I've got something even better for you. Not just somebody who walks with you, somebody to live inside you. And that's where God lives if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, his presence should make a difference in our lives. Now, we're going to look specifically in the next few weeks of how his presence makes a difference in our lives. But there should be something different about you because the Holy Spirit lives inside you. There should be something different about the way that you think, about the way that you conduct yourself, about the attitudes that you carry. We should be able to put you beside a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, and we should be able to tell a difference. Because we have God inside living in us. There should be a difference in us. Thirdly, we can live with assurance and confidence and know that we have eternal life. We have an eternal God who lives inside of us. Fourthly, we can be reminded of the fact that we are never alone. Aloneness. I had a conversation with somebody this week, said, I grew up and as I was growing up, I just always felt so alone. COVID. It's made us feel alone, hasn't it? It's isolated us and separated, and we feel so alone. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, which we do, we are never alone. Never, never, never alone. Fifth, we have a helper. What do you need help with? What do you need help with in your spiritual life? What do you need help with in your life? It's all spiritual. But we have a helper who says, I can help you with that. What is your biggest struggle right now? There is a helper who lives inside of you who wants to help you with that. We'll talk about that a lot more next week. But we have a helper. And what an awesome thing it is to think about. This great guy with all this power looks down at puny us and says, Oh, but I want to help you. Let me help you. And then the last thing here. It's not enough to know about the Holy Spirit. We need to experience him personally. He is a person so that we can have a relationship with him as a person. So as we conclude this morning, let me ask you to do something. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to close out everything and everyone else in this room as best you can other than the fact that you have to listen to me through all this but where you can isolate yourself. And I want you just to think about this idea of you and God. Picture God there with you. Where do you see him? Is he sitting next to you? Is he like up here on the platform? Maybe he has a chair up here. Maybe he's kind of like... um, You kind of picture him above you or floating around you? Because if that's the picture that you have, you need to push it out. And you need to picture God actually within you. Because that's where he resides if you have trusted Jesus Christ and invited him into your life. So do you see him within? Still with your eyes closed here. Try to... Listen, maybe, to what he's saying then from within. Maybe he's saying things like, I am here. Or, I want to help you. Or, you know, I will never leave you. Or, you're never, ever going to be alone. I see you. You are not forgotten. I love you. I care about you. You're not alone. He's the Holy Spirit who indwells. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we often don't address you when we pray. We can. You're God. And we're grateful for the fact that you have come and that you not only came to be with us, but that you have come to be in us. I pray that in this moment this morning, we would sense your presence maybe as we've never sensed it before that you would come alongside us that you would whisper to us yes i love you yes i'm here to help yes i am with you you never have to be alone holy spirit i pray also that you would help us then to let go to relinquish a little bit those, those some of those places of us that were resistant to you but instead to trust you so that you can start to change us and make us all that you want us to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's the first step. Jesus died for your sins, rose again, forgave your sins. He brings you salvation along with the Holy Spirit who then comes to live inside you. Simple conversation that you have with Jesus to invite him into your life to forgive your sins. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit is quick to respond and he will come in. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, that's how you can have him there. And I would ask you to take that step. If you have that Holy Spirit, I pray that this week, you would ask him every day to make you aware of his presence. And I pray this,